very old and like a fresh youth also. The story of Puranjan is an allegorical description of the Purusha Prakriti Tohi Bhute Prakriti Jan Guna. Is the description of the person who considers himself an enjoyer of material nature, who is situated in material nature and attempts to enjoy the material nature, who attempts to enjoy the modes of nature which are born from uh, from the material nature. So it, it is a it is a description of you and me. It's a description of all of us in this material world. How we are attempting to enjoy this world and in our attempts, our great hopes to enjoy this world, ultimately suffer. Srila Prabhupada gives elaborate commentary on each verse. Elaborate means each commentary could be unlimited, but in comparison with other parts of the Bhagavata, Srila Prabhupada gives quite extensive problems. Because it's important to understand how we are Purusha Prakriti Stohi Bhunte Prakriti Jan Guna. It's important to understand this. In Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna, in Briefly, he describes these points that in Srimad Bhagavatam are described in more detail how we are stuck in this material nature due to our misconceptions, the misconception that we are the enjoyer of this world and simply suffering with it. It's important for us to know this. Generally, we don't like to hear about this. We find that uh, those are very popular sadhus who speak things which people like to hear. Generally, people don't like to hear that the body which we have set, uh, which we have accepted as the vehicle of our enjoyment is simply the vehicle of our suffering. But what we consider to be enjoyment is simply suffering. People don't like to hear this. They like to hear something which will be pleasing. But that which is actually pleasing is that on a completely different platform to the material which, however much we try to enjoy this material world, the nature of this material world doesn't change. The nature of this material world is dukhavaya. It is a place of misery where there is janma mrityu jaravyadhi dukha. Birth, death, old age and disease. Now you may think, well, we heard this many times. We thought we might come here today and hear something different, something new, something interesting. We already know that this material world is miserable and it's full of birth, death, old age and disease. That we may know. We may have passed our bhakti way, what's it called? Bhakti Shastri, Bhakti Vaibhava, and scored top marks and given a very good description of how this material world is miserable. When we come out, we score top marks and immediately we think how to enjoy this material world. It's a very old Puranjana means we have an old bad habit. Bad habits are very difficult to get rid of. They're very deeply ingrained. So the bad habit of thinking myself the enjoyer of this material world binds us to this material world. And as long as we are bound up with these bad habits, calm, crowd, lobe, moha, madadi, abhishta, Rhetorically asks that as long as we are absorbed in lust, greed, anger, envy, illusion, etc., 
then where is the question of attaining to Radha and Krishna? Bhagavatam, the famous subject of Bhagavatam, is the topics of the tenth canto. Krishna's affairs in Vrindavan. This is the prema prayojana. This is the actual goal. The goal of Bhagavatam is not actually to teach us about how this material world is full of suffering. That's not the actual topic. The actual topic is Radha Krishna Lila. But these topics of the misery of the material world is also required for us to understand because as long as we are trying to enjoy this material world, then there's no question of coming to the actual point of understanding Radha Krishna. So this has to be gone through. This, uh, this has to be gone through. What has to be gone through? There's Material life does not have to be gone through. Srimad Bhagavatam has to be gone through. If we go through Srimad Bhagavatam, then we no longer have to go through material life. As long as we don't go through Srimad Bhagavatam, very carefully, Bhagavata Parogiya Vaishnavera Sthane Ekanta Ashray Karo Chaitanya Charane This is the advice, how to study Srimad Bhagavatam that we should study Srimad Bhagavatam under the guidance of a Vaishnava and take full shelter without any deviation at the lotus feet of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Then we can enter into the topics of Srimad Bhagavatam. And as long as we don't do that, then we have another kind of Chaitanya. <laughs> This material world, what is, what is this? This material world is unconscious. This is if unconscious. We're in a dream, dreamlike state. Perverted consciousness. So as long as we have this consciousness of trying to enjoy this material world, then there's no question of entering into the uh, understanding, the the real old understanding, very old, ancient understanding of Krishna. Here we find that the king is approaching the beautiful woman. It's a classic love story. You'll find in every movie, every novel, the man comes across the woman Ah, <laughs> oh, how nice to see you here. Just what I always wanted. But they don't know. Puranjana. They've been, do been doing this life after life. When I was a dog, a young, handsome, confident dog, best dog on the whole street, I saw the she-dog of my dreams. What a beauty. And I approached her. Ah, I'm so happy to see you. And she smelled my genital. That's what dogs do. And thought, okay, smells good enough for me. And then we enjoyed ourselves. So this is going, we think, it's fresh, it's wonderful. But it's simply chewing the chew. We've done it many, many times. Puranjan asks, Who are all these people with you? She said, Well, don't know. Don't know that much. There's this, I have these male friends and female friends and there's this snake. And I don't really know much about them. They're just with me, that's all. The snake is the life force. So we don't know much about who we are, even from the material point of view, how our thinking processes are working, how our consciousness remains even during sleep. We don't think much about us. We don't. 
It's not very important. I simply have to enjoy myself. So she says, I don't know much about it. And he says, well, it doesn't matter. I love you for who you are. I love you anyway, whatever. But then gradually, the man, as he becomes attracted to the woman, he finds out that it's not just the woman, not just the smiling face, but there is going with her are all her desires. She has a big party with her, a big coterie, a big crowd, so many desires. Shankaracharya, he has likened the two breasts of a woman. One is to desire and the other is to envy. The man is attracted. He is attracted but he doesn't know that by embracing that he becomes uh, a man and the woman unite. That means he has to take care of all her desires. So many desires. He has only one main desire, which is to enjoy the woman. She has so many desires. So to, to fulfill his desire, he has to try to attempt her, to fulfill her unlimited desire. And this goes on and on and on. There's no end to material desires. So he becomes exhausted. Puranja. And becomes an old man. Then he dies and he forgets how he struggled so hard to try to please the uh, Puranjani, the female. And then again he's born and again, full of hope, born again. You see the little puppy dogs, they full of hope. And again they try. Punarapi jananam, punarapi maranam, punarapi janani, Again and again, full of hope. Again and again, trying to enjoy this material world. Again and again, frustrated. And the Buddhists have analyzed that this desire, material desire is the cause of all suffering. That's true. And therefore they say, one should stop all desire. That's not true. It seems to be a logical step. Material desire is the cause of all suffering. Therefore, to get free from suffering, one should stop all desire. It seems to be a logical extrapolation. But due to not knowing the nature of desire, they make such a foolish conclusion. It seems to be very intelligent, but it's actually foolish. They don't know, they haven't studied properly. They say, stop all desire. They don't know that to stop desire is not possible. The root of all suffering is desire. But then what is the root of desire? They have to go deeper. The root of desire is that desire is inseparable from the soul. There's no question of stopping desire. The root of all suffering is desire. That's not exactly correct. It appears to be correct. Because every desire that we have in this material world simply causes suffering. So it seems to be a correct statement that desire simply leads to suffering. How does it lead to suffering? We desire something. We endeavor to obtain it. In the endeavor to obtain it, there is suffering. Then either we obtain it and we're not satisfied, which is because nothing in this material world satisfies us. Uh, or even if we do feel somewhat satisfied by that, we don't feel full satisfaction. And again, more desires come. More desires, more desires, which means more struggling. And there's no end. Simply we're hoping for happiness. Or if we don't attain that which we desire, then uh, we become frustrated, we become angry, we, we become disappointed. All these different emotional states, they all result from desire. 
So it appears that the Buddhist conclusion that all suffering comes from desire, it appears to be true. But it only appears to be true because they only have knowledge of this material world. They don't have knowledge of spiritual existence. They have not gone deeply enough, just like the woman here says, well, I have these male friends and female friends and the snake and they're with me. I don't really know much about them, but anyway, that's all. They haven't gone very deeply to see what is the actual nature of our being, that we don't belong in this material world at all. Desire is the cause of suffering because we don't belong in this material atmosphere at all. Desire is not in itself bad or wrong or harmful. But we have to know that what, what is our actual nature. We are spiritual beings. We have our spiritual relation with Krishna. And desire to serve Krishna is the cause of all bliss which if our desire is channeled toward Krishna, then that desire becomes the source of all happiness. What the Buddhists are saying, in effect, is that there is no happiness. And therefore they conclude there is no innocence. Happiness is the very meaning of existence. Enjoyment is the meaning of existence. Rasovai Saha. The absolute is rasa. Happiness. Happy, happy emotional flavor. Rasa. That is existence. But the uh, foolish philosophers, they don't know this. They see that there's no happiness in this material world and they conclude that there is no happiness anywhere. But the ultimate purpose of life is to enjoy. I personally heard Prabhupada say that. When one reporter asked Prabhupada, what is the purpose of life? Very good question. Prabhupada said, the purpose of life is to enjoy. I was surprised. I thought, well, I, everything I heard up to now told me that we're not supposed to enjoy. The Talbot explained that it is our nature to enjoy. We are by nature happy. It is our nature to seek happiness. But we do not know what is happiness, where is happiness. Therefore we are seeking happiness in the wrong atmosphere. That is the whole underlying theme of this Puranjan story. It's quite elaborate because we all live elaborate lives. We all do so many things, but what do we do it for? Everything we do is ultimately for happiness. Everything. Even things that we, we're not even conscious, just like I'm shaking my head a little bit here. I'm just analyzing what I'm doing. Or I may scratch my knee. I'm not I'm hardly even conscious of doing it. But I'm doing it, why? Because that uh, scratching the knee, there may be some little itching, which I'm even hardly aware of. But I'm just scratching it to relieve the itch. And that's a very small thing. But we may make big plans. I will go to university, then I will get a job, then I will earn money, then I will be happy. People will respect me, I'll have a big house, I will have children, and in this way I shall be happy. So from the very smallest thing, shall I have another another chapati? Well, I'm already full, but they're good chapatis, and it wouldn't hurt. Okay, give me another one. And this goes on for five or six or seven chapatis more, even after we're full. Because we're thinking, yes, I think I can digest it. Never mind if I get a little indigestion. They're very good chapatis. So like this, we always, everything we do, simply thinking, how can I get happiness? But this underlying thing, that there is no happiness in this material world, but there is happiness. We should seek happiness. Everyone should try to be happy. Be happy! 
This is our message. Everybody, be happy. Sounds good. This will be a popular theme wherever we go. You can go all over the world and give seminars. Be happy. People will like to hear it. But, <laughs> here comes the, the rub. How to be happy. No meat, no intoxication, no gambling, no illicit sex, no sleeping after Brahma Mahurta, rise early in the morning. Look, 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 look. Where's the happiness? What happened to the happiness? Where's the happiness? But if you consider that we actually Krishna conscious is only meant for happiness, and Krishna conscious people are happy. Brahma Bhuta Prasanna Atma, that is the test of the one way we can see who is Krishna conscious, that they're happy. And that means Brahma Sukh, not this happiness of enjoying the senses. One who's on the spiritual platform. They're actually happy. And why would anyone accept such a life? Often people ask us, how long have you been in this Hare Krishna movement? And then I'll say, 30 something years. And then the next question they'll ask, are you happy? And my answer is, well, what do you think? If I didn't like it, then why should I stay? Even now, it's not too late. I could go out and have a career. I could maybe be a salesman or a politician. It's not too late. I could write a book, The Inner Workings of the Hare Krishna Movement. Maybe it would be a bestseller. Maybe I could be a novelist. There are so many things to do. Why are you wasting your life? Simply jumping up and down with these crazy people. That's what Prakashananda Saraswati said to Chaitanya about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He's simply running around with all these crazy people, publicly jumping up and down in the streets, dancing. He's supposed to be a sannyasi. What is this? So, just like that, you could also be happy. Bombay is a great city. There's a lot of opportunity here. Maybe you could get a job in Bollywood. You might even become a famous film star. A lot of people come here every day with that hope. Most of them end up just driving a rickshaw or something like this. Anyway, I better not speak this too much, otherwise you might take it seriously. <laughs> but it should be very seriously understood that there is no happiness in material existence. And even there's a fellow who lives around the corner from here who's idolized by the masses of India, at least the Hindi-speaking masses, who's the, the greatest film star in the history of India, He's also not happy. Of course, he won't admit that. But no one is happy in this material world. Happiness is with Krishna. Even if we think we are happy, dukhalayam ashashatam. Even that happiness which we think is happiness. This yehi samspar shajat bhoga. This enjoyment which comes of interacting the senses with the with the sense objects. It is not, it is dukhayonaya evate. It is simply the cause of suffering. Even if we think it is the cause of happiness, it is temporary. So this elaborately is described in the Puranja section of Bhagavatam. Elaborately described. It's, we can say this material world is miserable. We can say it, but still we are this idea that I shall enjoy it is very, very deep rooted. Therefore, to help to uproot these karmasha, these desires for material enjoyment which are very, very deep rooted. The Vyasadeva, uh, Shukadeva, Narada Muni, all the Acharyas, Srila Prabhupada, they are describing the characteristics of King Puranjana. This is you and me. 
we're trying to enjoy this material world, not knowing that our real place is at the lotus feet of Krishna. Very simple point. It's elaborately described here in Bhagavatam, how we become entangled in this material world due to uh, forgetting our actual position at the lotus feet of Krishna and trying to enjoy separately from Krishna, trying to take a position for which we are not fit. Krishna is the supreme controller and the supreme enjoyer. Only the supreme controller can be the supreme enjoyer. He's the supreme controller. What kind of controller means that every, everything acts parasya shakti Krishna has multiple energies which all act for his pleasure. Everything in existence simply operates for Krishna's pleasure. That is particularly manifest in the spiritual world. And Krishna, he doesn't even personally supervise these energies. But they, he's the supreme controller, and even with that, he's so much in control that he doesn't personally control. He's so much in control that he doesn't have to worry about, just like a dictator of a country, he always has to be careful that someone will come up from behind and stab me in the back, or I, give, I delegate some power to some minister or some army chief, but you have to keep an eye on him because if he gets, if he gets too much power, he may usurp me. But Krishna has no such worries. Krishna delegates his powers to his energies and he's fully confident, just, all right, you organize everything. And they organize his lila. Lila means like a play. And Krishna takes part in that. And he plays in that as if he is just another member of the caste. But actually, everything centers around Krishna. Everything is for the pleasure of Krishna. That is the meaning of Vrindavan. That everything is, everything and everyone is simply doing everything orchestrated by Krishna's lila shakti, by his potency for organizing his pastimes. Everything is organized simply to give pleasure to Krishna. And automatically everyone partaking becomes happy. Automatically. When Krishna is happy, then we become happy. And Krishna's pastimes, they're ananda chinnaya rasa. They're simply full of transcendental bliss. So by partaking in that, we actually become happy. But in this material world, it's a different arrangement altogether. We're not at all in control. We're trying to think that we're in control. The whole material energy is contrived to award us, to award us unhappiness. Whereas the spiritual energy is contrived to give Krishna happiness. Everything in the spiritual world is centered around Krishna. Whereas in this material world, everyone's trying to make themselves the center. So it's totally disharmonious. So these points should be understood. We're meant for serving Krishna. When we serve Krishna, everything becomes automatically becomes nice. Otherwise, if we, in this material world, we're trying to sort out everything and put everything in order so that we can live happily. But however much we try to put everything in order, it, the very nature, material nature is such that everything becomes disordered. And the very nature of material nature is that however much we make plans for happiness and janma, mrityu, jaravya, dhi, birth, death, old age and disease is going on, it's impossible. The attempt to be happy in this material world is completely, it's a completely impossible attempt. Therefore an intelligent person should give that up and simply try to satisfy Krishna in everything that we do and by that one attempt this is the one thing that we can do that will solve our problems because that will bring us to our constitutional position. So we've heard all these things many times. I hope we should hear again and again many times uh, until we finally one day wake up and think, Oh, I'm supposed to... Really? I'm supposed to... Oh, it's really true. I'm supposed to serve Krishna. Okay, got it. All right, let's serve Krishna. That's sadhana. Sadhana means to keep on telling ourselves. We're meant to say, 
Hare Krishna, O Krishna, O energy of Krishna, please engage me in your service. Please engage me in your service. We hear in the class, you have to engage in the service of Krishna. During the day we get some service. In the meantime, how can I enjoy? How can I enjoy? How can I enjoy? What's going on? And all and sometimes we just have to realize, oh, it's really true. I meant to serve Krishna. Okay. I'm your servant. And then that's it. All problems finish. Very simple. Very simple. So Hare Krishna. Any question, comment, protest, please. The news Yes, Lord Krishna was surrounded by gopis in Vrindavan. All glories to Lord Sri Krishna. Yes, in Dwarka he was surrounded by numerous queens. Dwarka Dishaki Jaya. How we should interpret this? Don't interpret. How should we interpret it and how should we follow? Don't interpret it and don't follow it. Don't interpret it means we should hear from Guru Sadhu and Shastra what is the Rahasya of Krishna Leela and Gaur Leela. Krishna Leela has its own characteristic. Krishna is this uh, Rasika Shekhar. He's the enjoyer. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna come in a different mood. He comes in the mood of a servant. This is described in the Bhakti Shastra. So we should don't interpret, try to understand from what the Acharya said. And follow means we should not try to be like Krishna. Or we should be like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in as much as he teaches us to serve Krishna. So these are uh, very deep tattvas. Gora tattva, Krishna tattva. Same person but different mood. Actually Krishna has so many avatars. Ram, Narsimha, Varaha, Kurma. They're all in a different, somewhat different mood. So we should understand what is their mood. But first of all, we have to, to understand this or enter into this, first of all we have to understand that He is supreme, we are His servant. He is uh, irreproachable, there's nothing wrong in what He does. Everything He does is for the good of everyone. That we should understand. If we try to understand Him through mundane psychology, sociology, anthropology, it's not possible to understand Krishna. We'll only make offenses. We have to be trained in the bhakti process, which means to understand He is supreme, we are His servants. Then we can begin to understand This we should understand. Then everything becomes clear. You can please study this book, Teachings of Lord Chaitanya. That will be very useful for all of us to understand who is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Yeah, any question related to the class? Yeah, that's everyone says that after every lecture. It's like a it's like a mantra or something that you have to say. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You said there's a desireless state, things yes. are invented. I mean, how does the one so sentence follow from the other? Yes, if, uh, if uh, there's invention, there should be a desire for You know, all the material things that are invented. You mean to say, what, what do you mean to say? Things are invented due to desire. And then, what, what okay, is this? That there is, what do you mean to say? This is progress of the material world? But that is often it's still last week when I, you know, I just uh, like, So, uh, how can we just a state when there is no desire? No, but we're not saying that. 
That's, all, that's the point I made, that there is no desire. I'm saying that the Buddhists say that there should be no desire. But the Vaishnavas understand that there is desire, but desire has to be purified. Desire has to be offered to Krishna. What are you saying? Yes, the people ask me if there is no desire. So they say if there is no desire, but that's not our philosophy. We don't say there should be no desire. So they're attacking us on a meaningless ground. Because we don't say there should be no desire. We don't say that. We say that desire should be directed toward the satisfaction of Krishna, service of Krishna. So we don't say that. Maybe people misunderstand that we say that. But if they say that, we can tell them that we don't say there should be no desire. Desire is very good if it's properly directed. There's no use to try to stop desire, but direct it toward the satisfaction of Krishna. That's all. They do things just to please their followers. So-called sadhus, yeah. That's the point. Sadhu means, what is that? Sante evasya chindanti manovya sangam uktibihi Sadhu means one who cuts the mental attachments by his words. That's one definition of sound from Srimad Bhagavatam. Cutting. Okay, so, yeah. what did the Buddha hear from here purpose and well, as a result he taught what he taught? It was, it was not meant to be perpetuated, mm. but it, it still exists and it seems to be spreading. So is it uh, Buddha behind that, or is people, his people, uh, are they going against or not controlled by Buddha or, or Lord? Well, these, uh, these kind of theories are always popular in society in materialistic society. People like these. People are attracted. Materialistic people, that mokhasha, mokha, karmano, mokha, jnana, vichetasa, rakshasim, asuram, chayana, prakritim, mohinim, shritaha. Srila Prabhupada translates this, that their hopes for liberation, mokhasha, their hopes for furtive work, people have almost a natural it seems like natural, but actually it's perverted. A very strong attraction to this kind of teaching. Anyone who comes out and teaches that we are all one, we are all God, people like that. It makes them feel good. <laughs> but it's a perversion of reality. It's, as Srila Prabhupada often pointed out, it's, it's just not true. We're not God. And then everything is not all one. But people become attracted to that. And persons who are expert at preaching or formulating such ideas, they become spiritual leaders and their influence becomes, it can last over many generations. The influence of Buddha is now becoming popular in the Western world, at least using his name. People are taking it. Who's the most influential person in, in the world over centuries? People, maybe in the Western world they'd say Christ. Of course he had a limited sphere of influence. I would say, who's more influential? Krishna? No. Ultimately Krishna. But I, in the modern world, in this Kali Yuga, I'd say the most influential person, even though many people don't even know his name, is Shankaracharya. His teachings are as if all pervasive everywhere, even in the so-called theistic religions. It's a very, people have very deep attraction to that. It's, it's a, due to perverted desire. So, whether Buddha is personally working. 
Yeah, it's not very It's not very difficult to defeat philosophically, but it seems that it's difficult for people to grasp due to perverted intelligence, perverted Buddha, Buddhi. Uh, recently, Badri Narayan Prabhu told me one incident. He was present when a prof- he was somewhere in America, a professor from India. Prabhupada met this professor. And Prabhupada was explaining that this professor was saying, well, everything is all one. And Prabhupada said, it's not all one. And Prabhupada explained that a cotton ball, you can't wear a cotton ball. A cotton ball and a cotton shirt are different. And the man kept on saying, no, no, cotton ball and a cotton shirt, no different, not different. So Prabhupada explained several times, the man kept on saying, no, no, not different. Obviously, a cotton ball and a cotton shirt are different. They're one in one in one sense, but practically they're different. As Prabhupada said, you can't wear a cotton ball. So eventually Prabhupada grabbed the man's shirt and said, cotton ball and a cotton shirt are different. He grabbed his shirt. And then his attitude changed and he became somewhat submissive. He said, oh, actually, yes, they are different. But just by reasoning, I mean, it's very, this man's a professor, he's got some material intelligence. But due to perverted desire, he couldn't understand an extremely simple point that a cotton ball and a cotton shirt are different. This is called maya. Maya aparuta jnana. People, they have knowledge, but it's so perverted that they can't see what should be obvious. So Prabhupada shook him. So, yeah, it requires Vaishnava acharyas to shake people up. Otherwise, everyone's just in a dream. Isvaroham, aham bhogi, shivoham, I am Shiva. This is all Durga. It's all for me to enjoy. <laughs> People think like that. They're in Maya. So it requires the Vaishnava Acharyas to shake them. Otherwise it's, it's very difficult. It's, uh, it seems like a natural... Actually it's perverted, but it seems like a natural attraction to that... What is this Bhaktisiddhanta Sarthako used to call Apaswaratha Parayana? <laughs> People are attached to that which is against their own self-interest. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> it's like the fly attracted to the to the fire. They fly into it and then burned up. Doesn't make any sense. So, shall we finish there? Another, is that a question? All right. This uh, preaching against Mayavad has to be very vigorous. Otherwise, we see the Vaishnav Sampradayas, they also become polluted by them. Once the, once the preaching stops, or even if. The, just like in the Sri Vaishnav Sambhala, we see in South India. If they're only... That's... Ramanuja, he stood strongly against Shankara, Shankara's theories. But if they only teach the stories of the different... the leelas of the different avatars, people like that, but they don't have a clear conception. And so we find that so many people whose forefathers, they were worshipping deities, various forms of Vishnu. Now they're all... Sai Baba or this Kalki there's one bogus Kalki avatar in Tamil Nadu in, in Bombay outside of Matunga, no one ever heard of him. And uh, they become attracted to all these things. Whereas they have the right philosophy and right understanding, but because it's not taught very clearly, then they all become confused. So it's necessary to speak very clearly and differentiate what is the what is the actual understanding. Otherwise the tendency toward Mayavad is so strong. 
that uh, even people who are supposed to be in a Vaishnava Sampradaya, they become victimized by that. And then the whole so-called bhakti just becomes a mess. Yes. Hare Krishna. That's the answer. From <laughs> Whatever the question, that's the answer. From time's memorial, we are stuck in this material world because of our bad habits. Um, Have we bad or good? There must be some teacher who taught us. I wonder who speaks. Who taught us? Taught us what? These habits. Well, there's a basic attraction to Krishna of the soul which we have the minute independence to exercise. If not, then this, uh, what is that? Nikotee maya tare japatiya dhari. As soon as we misuse that independence, then maya catches us. And maya has so many agents, Shankaracharya, Buddha, Karnat, Gautam, Patanjali, Freud, Marx, Darwin. There are so many teachers. Otherwise we take birth as a dog or a cat and we don't have any teacher. We just indulge in mind. So it's the natural propensity of the jiva to desire and to act according to desire. So either our desire is pure to serve Krishna or it's perverted. The various teachers, they give some systematic supposed philosophy to our perversion, that's all. All right, one more question and then we'll... Hare Krishna Under influence of, under strong influence of Maya, many times devotees commit some sinful activities. Well, devotees don't commit sinful activity. You could say that those who are aspiring to be devotees. In the eyes of material body, maybe. And uh, in the Bhagavad Gita case, it's stated that uh, even if a devotee gets fallen, he should be, uh, uh, he should be considered as a pure soul or Yeah, or rather that they're not fallen. <laughs> What is your opinion about this? Your what is my opinion? What Krishna says. We have to accept Krishna's opinion. I'm sorry. But people in the don't have any other opinion. People in the material world think differently. That's why Krishna comes and speaks Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> if Krishna had only to say what the materialist said, then there's no need of him speaking Bhagavad Gita. Materialists think wrongly, therefore Krishna speaks Bhagavad Gita. We have to accept what Krishna says. Thank you.